0: Hello and welcome to the Banker's podcast series Banking Under Pressure. I'm James King, the Banker's Europe editor, and I'm joined today by Alex Birri, Managing Director, Financial Institutions at S&P Global Ratings, to discuss the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on eurozone banks. Alex, thanks for being here today. Thanks, James. Um, so obviously, uh, Italy emerged as the initial epicenter of the, the crisis in Europe. And I guess the big question here is uh, around the country's banking system, because obviously in recent years, it's been a, a pretty tough time for Italian banks. Uh, and given some of the pressure they're facing today with what we're seeing in terms of the economic impacts of, of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, can they withstand the coming economic shock? Uh, thanks, Tim. Uh-
1: Data in the banking sector can absorb the shock, but but the effects will be felt differently by individual players. Uh, These um, had uh, very diverse degrees of uh, balance sheet strength at the start of the crisis, whether it's in in terms of diversification of exposures, capital, or or progress in reducing the stock of uh, underperforming loans. So the the most direct impact will come from the macro slowdown, the the stiffness of the GDP decline, and the shape of the um, recovery afterwards will ultimately uh, determine credit losses and and the hit on revenue generation. In Italy, as in the rest of the world, short-term forbearance is encouraged by the authorities, but despite, or even because of that, loan impairment charges should be the main drag on profitability, ultimately. Market volatility. I mean, market volatility poses additional risks, but Italian banks uh, are less exposed than others because of low reliance on wholesale funding and the uh, small size of their market activities. Also, uh, Italian banks tend to have um, large portfolios of domestic government bonds, but but the volatility on. So when bonds is unlikely uh, to have a significant impact on capital, given they are typically uh, classified as a whole to collect um, assets. Uh, and finally, to go back to the, um, to the point on the diverse nature of the Italian banking system, they, the banks that will suffer more under this economic stress are, are probably the smaller banks. The Italian banking system includes a lot of mid-sized, regional or even more local banks, and particularly those that have high exposure to some of the most affected regions and whose um, financial profiles already had a uh, lower capacity to absorb additional shocks when entering the crisis.
0: Okay, sure. So there will be some variance between the performance of, as you mentioned, some of the smaller banks and some of the more larger and established uh, players in Italy. But taking this now... Looking at this issue really through a, a wider European lens, we've seen we're talking now in the middle of April, and we've seen some of the uh, projections from from the IMF in recent days uh, around the outlook for the global economy. Um, and really, if we look at I guess uh, the European banking sector from a, a more regional perspective, um, how much? Uh, do you think some of the efforts that have been put in place since the last financial crisis to strengthen um, the eurozone banking system as a whole? How much have they paid off, and and do you think that that really, on a sort of a regional in regional terms, um, eurozone banks have the the capital and liquidity buffers necessary to to weather the coming storm? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yes, I mean the the efforts have paid off. I'd say uh, I suspect many standard setters are feeling quietly uh, vindicated. Because over the past 10 years, there has been a uh, substantial strengthening in the uh, bank's capital and liquidity position. I mean, let's not forget that during the global financial crisis, we didn't even even have um, consistent liquidity metrics or or liquidity requirements uh, across jurisdictions uh, or in Europe, for instance. Uh, if you look at the, the Basel Committee, they, they published their latest monitoring report uh, I think back in early April. And according to this report, for the 30 or so of the largest European banks, including the sample, the uh, CT1, or the core capital of that group, increased by, uh, I think it was 58%, and that's about 400 billion euros. Uh, and that was between the middle of 2011 and the middle of uh, 2019. Um, so quite a large amount, certainly, and that's on top of a general de-risking of, um, of these banks' exposure during the period. So that should really help banks absorb this um, uh, shock, even if we will see some duration in the credit profile of uh, of number of, of, of banks. Um, and these strong buffers do change completely the, uh, the tone of the narrative this time around, so they allow, allow banks to be seen as a uh, as a tool to get through this crisis, uh, to be used as a conduit for the authorities' uh, monetary uh, and economic policies. Um, that said, banks' leverage, by nature of their business models, remains high, and liquidity can still evaporate rapidly. Uh, and finally, I'd say that the the regulatory tightening that has supported banks' balance sheet strengthening has also has also. Um, it's also led to a multiplication of the ratios that banks must, must meet from a regulatory point of view. And therefore, it has led to a uh, multiplication of, of potential tripwires for banks. So, euros and banks' resilience remains also dependent on, on a few external factors. Uh, I probably see three uh, main factors. One is the, um, the support the authorities are providing to households and corporates substantial amount of support has been provided directly there. Number two, the uh, ECB's substantial liquidity support to uh, financial markets and banks, for instance, uh, TLTRO, the latest version of it. And then finally, as well, the clarifications around the uh, regulatory flexibility for banks to dip into some of the regulatory buffers that they have built uh, over the past 10 years, and the relaxation of uh, Pillar 2 rules um, that was announced uh, In March, uh, by the ECB, I think that alone frees up about 120 billion euros of uh, of capital um, for banks. So we're not talking of uh, pocket money, um, but let's see how temporary these dips into regulatory buffers will be.
0: Okay, sure. So, so in general, then we we have to wait and see. But as you mentioned, uh, buffers are stronger, and the system as a whole is is in a much better position than it was uh, during the last crisis. So that, that's encouraging. Encouraging to hear. But one point, I guess, which is um, a little less negative or is more negative, sorry, is um, is really around uh, profitability and and banks' ability to to, to turn a profit. And, and obviously, in recent times. Um, as a function of, of the interest rate environment, and obviously uh, you know uh, uh, lower growth um, across the region, um, banks have been uh, struggling in this in this respect. Um, so, what are the implications, I guess, of a further hit to, to eurozone, eurozone banks' profitability moving forward as a result of, of, of this crisis?
1: To set the scene for, for the large European banks, the uh, median ROE of return on equity last year was probably around six percent. Um, So yeah, low, Uh, and that was even that was before the uh, onset of the crisis, uh, with a uh, historically low or materially materially improved cost of risk for for most banks. So yes, not that's not a great um, starting point. Uh, And one prediction we can safely make for this is that the median RE will be much lower, uh, much much lower still. Now. As the saying goes, misery lost company. And this year, uh, European banks may take some comfort in seeing banks in other regions and companies in other sectors also facing uh, poultry returns. Um, but when the dust settles, when an econ- economic rebound takes hold, and when other sectors' profitability recovers, the European banks' profitability concerns won't away, they, they, they won't. Um, lower for even longer will continue to exert pressure even when the economy bounces back um, and these dividend suspensions will be lifted but so will um, shareholders expectations at that point. So um, but to repair the balance sheet um, and to invest in evolving customer needs and to support the recovery, banks in Europe will need to improve their returns. Um, so an acceleration in structural changes um, whether it's at entity or system level, uh, will be required.
0: Right. Okay. So, so, as you say, tough times ahead and no, no let up, it seems, uh, moving, moving forward. Uh, and just finally then, Alex, building from that point and, and really looking, I guess, to, to the future now, do you expect some of these pressures that you've mentioned to, to really stimulate uh, consolidation um, of, of, of banks within some of the key eurozone markets uh, moving forward?
1: Uh, it's, it's been a little while that uh, people have been talking of greater consolidation in the Eurozone, um, but with little concrete results so far, um, even if regulators before the crisis were starting to sound a little bit more supportive. Um, regulations are, are sometimes portrayed as the parent, um, but as we've seen, authorities can be pretty flexible with regulations when it, need, when it benefits the, uh, the economy or supports their, their objectives. Um, but Lower for longer. And the private sector that may need to uh, de- de- leverage post COVID-19 will um, it will accentuate the pressure on banks profitability. Um, also, customer needs are evolving. Capital market the union, sustainable finance, fintech—they uh, they all speak to the need for greater sophistication uh, and or scale for for many banks. So, um, out of crisis, generally, we 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 just see opportunities arise for structural changes uh, we saw that after the great the global financial crisis um, which already led to some consolidation thing in spain ireland and a number of other countries and this could be the opportunity for another phase of consolidation the, the big question will be whether it remains domestic as it has primarily been up to date, uh, to, uh, to now uh, of if we'll finally see a uh, acceleration in cross-border consolidation within the region, uh, further domestic consolidation is likely, especially as certain domestic, often more concentrated players will probably suffer from a weakening of their credit profile in the coming months and quarters. Uh, larger cross-border consolidation will require probably a stronger, more surface short strategic vision from the players involved and they also pose greater execution risk. Um, They will also require support from the uh, national and regional authorities. Uh, But if the Capital Market Union project is to succeed, uh, it will need pan-European banks that can support this project. And therefore, Mm -hmm. such consolidation within the region uh, will be key. So, further domestic consolidation in Eurozone, yes, that's likely. Cross-border consolidation, that's possible. But the odds are higher than they were uh, a year ago, I'd say.
0: Okay. Okay, great. So we'll have to to wait and see in that respect. But uh, for now, Alex, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank
1: you.